Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are... However you're listening, welcome to America's Talk radio show about opera, period. We are live on WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by co-hosts Oliver Camacho and Tobias Wright. All right, tonight it's a Chalk Talk doubleheader. We take a look at the Metropolitan Opera's 2019-2020 season, and we run it through the Dodson scale find out if the Met can set a new high score, maybe even a personal best. Plus, in the two-minute drill, you're going to get our hot takes on everything you need to know from the past week in Opera Land. And, of course, you can call us on air. Get your voice heard. 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. Give us your hot take on the latest opera news stories. 847-866-9687. Tweet us at Opera Box Score. Post on our Facebook page. Oliver Camacho, it's been a while. So sometimes I'm at the gym and I the you know the sports <laughs> sports talk is on. And sports ball, sports stuff. You know that guy, the Bayless guy is on, and the the black yeah. guy and yeah. the handsome guy, Stephen A. Smith. Yep. Is he this handsome guy? Shannon Sharp is the handsome guy yeah. who's on with Skip Bayless. Okay, so he's a retired professional football player. Yeah, he's got really beautiful eyes. Yes. Yeah. So sometimes that's on, <laughs> and um, I'm thinking like you know for those of you who don't who have not been in the studio with us. It's probably most of you. <laughs> um, George is very animated when he is uh, ho- behind the mic. Like, he's ready to be on TV. We're ready to take this thing to a video format or maybe even a live That'd be fun. with audience format. Live with audience would be fun. Yeah. And then they could see who's the beautiful one and who's, like, the smart one. <laughs> and they could see, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Toby, yeah. you were at the big house, Michigan Stadium in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Was it everything you hoped for and more? Yeah, it looked like a big bathtub. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you know me. Like, I'm a huge college football fan, and so it's kind of one of the meccas of, of college sports, uh, if you will. Um, it's massive, though. And when you look at how many buildings in the world, not just the United States, but how many buildings can fit 110,000 people simultaneously, and the answer is very few. So just from, like, a, an architectural standpoint, it was pretty cool. Ann Arbor's a great college town. My girlfriend went to Michigan. Um so it was cool. It was Had cool to, to drop that in there, huh? Heartbreaking all the time. <laughs> Heartbreaking all the time. It's good to keep it mysterious for the audience. You're right. I actually don't think I've ever mentioned that I have Too a significant other. <laughs> yeah. And that she's a woman. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> but it could be one of those things like where you just call everybody a girl. Hey, girl. You know, exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's what I've been doing for three years here. Let's yeah. <laughs> talk some opera. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight, everybody. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. Also streaming on the web, wnur.org slash pop up. The Metropolitan Opera in New York City has released its 2019-2020 season. Before we get to that, Oliver Camacho, creative consultant, is going to refresh our memories. Oh, yeah. I forgot. About fresh. the Dodson scale. I almost said the Memorial Dodson scale. I don't know why I was so going to say I that. Know, he, Doug I, Dodson's not dead. I know Norm Waddell normally just likes to stay in the other room and do his little bits without really having to, you know, be around us. But Norm, could you make us a, a Dodson scale jingo? Why, yes, point? I will. <laughs> Thank you, Norm. Um, so... This is something we did a lot last season, and we haven't really had time this year, but we really want to apply... We got busy. We want to apply this uh, originality and diversity scale created by a former Doug, former host of Opera Now podcast, Doug Dotson, and Jeopardy! contestant, Doug Dotson. Love it. Uh, who created this metric for um, calculating how an opera season... How, how an opera company is doing on diversity and originality. 
And um, just I'll do a quick rundown of how you can gain points on the Dotson scale. You can gain points for doing uh, works by female composers or female librettists, um, works by composers of color or librettists of color, doing works that were written before 1830, uh, meaning to say, you know, Baroque era, because there's not much before the Baroque era. Maybe some, I don't think there's really any Renaissance operas, mm. not really. Um, doing, um, let's see, shows written after 1950. So, you know, 20th century and 21st century operas, world premieres get points, new productions get points, works outside of the Italian, German, French, or English language get points, um, women conductors or women directors get points, singers of color get points, conductors of color get points, directors of color, and um, wild cards such as anything in a press release that can be mentioned as the first. So this season, the Mets doing okay on some of those factors, but uh, once again, there are ways to lose points, and you lose points for doing Bohème, Carmen, or Traviata. <laughs> Ten points, in fact, for lo- doing any of those operas. You lose an additional five points for doing two out of those three operas, and you can lose an additional ten points for doing all three of those Ouch. operas. Uh, you lose five points for doing Wagner because F that guy. Uh, you, do, uh, <laughs> you lose five points for repeating a composer, and you lose 20 points for doing a ring cycle. And uh, 10 points you lose for doing anything that's an obvious money-saving gimmick, like using all young artists um, or working without a chorus, for example. So All those facts and figures, the metric, as Oliver said, is on our website, operaboxscore.com. It's kind of a brilliant invention. So, Tobias, how are you going to structure this? This is behemoth, man. You lost like 10 pounds this <laughs> evening putting this <laughs> together. This was, which you know, takes you down to like 160. It's really so, nice. Yeah, right. Um, it's kind of funny because, you know, I prep for a couple hours before the show every Monday and make sure that I'm really on top of what we're going to be talking about so I don't sound like an idiot. And I sometimes... It, like about I, transgender and <laughs> Fox or something like that. And I was... I told you, though, and to all of our listeners, please educate me. And that's my whole thing. Yeah. Like, I want to be educated. So to the Dotson scale, to this point, it's not a scientific scale. Um, but what I did is I took the Mets season announcement. I went through each cast list, each announced singer, um, production uh, team, composer, director and assigned accordingly, um, and then made the deductions. And I will say, so on our show last year, um, Oliver, you said that... They started with, uh, before deductions, they started with a net 60 points. A net 60, and then they had how many deductions? 60. (laughs) (laughs) So they were a flat zero last year. Which, honestly... very tidy. With 25 productions, to have a net zero is probably a major victory. Now... (laughs) In the year since, well, I think we should also acknowledge that these seasons have been planned years and years in advance, right? I mean... For the most part, yeah. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, singers move somewhat. Yeah, Sonia Yancheva becomes like the it girl this year. It's Lizette Oropreza, for yep. example, you know. Yep, yep, yep. So anyway, I went through, um, and I started doing it. Do you want to hear the big numbers, or do you want to hear the little numbers? Do you want to hear intro? Let's do the big numbers at the end. It's like a reveal. You a know? reveal. Like, yeah, so let's go through the season, you know. Um, so their first production is uh, a new production, so that got them some extra points. But it's Gershwin's Porgy and Bess. Um, obviously, looking at a diversity scale, this is one of the, this is an interesting um, opera. It's there are black singers. It's yeah. it's a black opera, and I know that um, from an employment standpoint, it employs black singers. But I do also know that it's been referred to as a plantation opera um, hmm. because it is an opera that they do so black singers can sing. Regardless, it does score high on the Dodson scale. Um, and in fact, overall, it's the second highest opera that they have. So their very first show of the year nets them uh, 17 points on uh, the Dodson scale. Right, exactly. Artists like Janai Brueger, Latonia Moore, Denise Graves, Eric Owen, Ryan Speedo mm-hmm. Green. I Angel mean, Blue. A friend Angel of mine, Blue, thank a friend you. of mine yeah. is also singing por- exactly. Porgy opposite Eric Owens when he's not performing. It's Kevin Short. Maybe we'll get him on the show. He's an awesome guy. Um, James Robinson, the artistic director at Opera Theater of St. Louis, in his Met debut as well. I found that very comforting to know that someone of his caliber, who has James done Robinson so what, well, what he do? he's the stage director, okay. who's done so well in this business for so long, is debuting at the Met. That really gave me hope. And a new production, too. So that'll be cool. Yeah, that'll be great 17 to points. So it's a strong start. It yeah. is a very strong start. And then, <laughs> I mean, so... You know, after that, you have Manon, 
uh, Massonet. And I will say that there's Massonet later in the season, so they lose a point there. They actually lose five. We'll talk about deductions overall later. Uh, Manon nets a score of one. Um, and that's Lizette Opreza uh, singing the lead role of Manon. And then Macbeth, Verdi, uh, and zero points, nobody. Uh, Anonym Trebko of note, though. Um, and then we start getting into the Puccini, which is going to sell a ton of tickets. Yikes. But on the Dodson scale, doesn't really score well. Um, so you have Turned Out, Madam Butterfly. Who's it selling the tickets to, by the way? Is it selling it to tourists? It's not selling it to New Yorkers, right? Because I don't they've know. seen these operas and they've seen the pr- these productions these of these pr- operas. Yeah, that's the one thing. They've seen these productions. now. So should the Met be catering to tourists? That's my question. The Met should be catering to who's going to buy ever, whoever's going to buy their tickets. Yeah, I don't and know. if it's a tourist, sell your tickets, right? The and Met should be pushing the art form forward, and I don't see that in this type of programming. I don't disagree with you, Oliver. What do you think? Who the Met should be? They should no. Be. Why? Who are they trying to sell tickets to with Madame Butterfly and Turandot? Um, two people that go to their first operas. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Funny story. In high school, 2004, yeah. I had the opportunity to see Madame Butterfly. Marcello Giordani was singing. Where was this? At the Met. Okay. I, yep, my high school went to uh, New York. I had the opportunity to see Madame Butterfly, and at the time I was like, opera, how dumb is that? And wow. I, went, I went to a Knicks game instead. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you're going to go to your first opera, it's, it should be something like Rigoletto or Carmen or you know Magic Flute if you're a kid. you know. Yeah, Butterfly would have been kind of a weird one. I don't. I mean, I, I think people recognize Unbel D for the most part, and the story is very uh-huh. racist. America really understands the story. You know, Green Book, the national the anthem. Yeah. Yeah. The national anthem appears in it before it was a exactly national anthem. America Forever. It yeah. ticks all the boxes, doesn't yeah. it? As um, yeah. Okay, cool. So, Butterfly turned out no points, no points, and in fact, actually, they lose points because hashtag Puccini. Uh, repeats himself. So on the Dotson scale, if the composer again, if the composer is represented more than once, um, you take five points off. So, but they might have gotten points for Hui Hui and Ana Maria Martinez. Um, they gained two points. They did. The, yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. And then, but it still wasn't enough to get them on a positive side for that show. So, yes, that is correct. And then we move on to Orfeo. Um, Orfeo netted them two points. Um, for some Asian singers. Some Asian... Uh, God, don't make me sound bad. It's yeah. This, this okay. Orfeo is a really good production as well. It's directed by the choreographer Mark Morris. Yeah. Mark Morris yeah. And yes. um, I mean, it's been in their repertoire. It's been yeah. done a it's number a of times one. before. Yeah, it's a dancey one. Yeah, dancey dance. Yeah. Uh, the, the piece, yes, is a dancey dance. And the way that Morris directs it is really pretty fantastic. The chorus is very prominent yeah. in this production. It's well done. Um, Bohem. <laughs> Bohem, if I were, so when I initially did the math here, Bohem loses him like 15 or 20 points. <laughs> but then when I applied, I, I kind of had to rework it a little bit. But it's Bohem. It's going to sell a lot of tickets. Plus, it's their show that comes back and leaves and comes back. And so this, they do get points for diversity within and amongst their singers. Th- this Bohem runs from October to, to May. May. Not straightforward, obviously. Yeah. There's a lot of gaps in there. But it shows you. It's how a repertory, many eggs so. they're putting yeah. into this particular basket. So next in their season is the highest score for diversity, um, and that is Akhenaten. And they gain extra points because it's a brand new production to the Met. Um, it was written post-1950. I gave them extra points for language because there is there are multiple languages. Like exa- Sanskrit and stuff like that? Sanskrit, okay. Egyptian, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, but, yeah. Okay. no, but actually, so, I mean, that's, that's no, something that's legit. that you're not going to hear uh, on the stage really ever. Um, and then there's uh, Janae Bridges in it, so a, a leading singer of color. And, yeah. So a female conductor. A female conductor. Karen Kamensik. Is, is she the only one this season? Um, She's the only female, only female conductor con- yeah. in the entire roster yeah. at the Met this season. If I'm wrong about that, please let me know. You can tweet us at Opera Box Score. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. We're working through the... Metropolitan Opera's 2019-2020 season with the Dodson scale as our metric. By the way, if you do tweet us, what happens is, you know, at the end of the year, we look at all our tweets and then Toby uh, I, composes composes a letter. I don't do the Twitter. And then sends the letter via snail mail to, to George. So we'll get back to you right away. Um, <laughs> Oliver's spitting spin <laughs> hot fire. This is so, Wait. so the production the production is, is new to the Met. It's uh, Philip Glass is the composer. Ocknotten, yeah. Yeah, of Ocknotten. You know Thank who's you. in this show that... Is a Chicago singer 
and has been here a lot in the last year or two is Will Liverman. Yeah, man. And he's not, it's not just his, he's later in the season as well. So that's really No, he's got a good season this year. The the production is a a, um, co-production with English National Opera and LA Opera. So it has been done before elsewhere. But I give the, I give the Met, Credit where credit is due. They have done other glass pieces. They did Satyagraha. Phelan McDermott directed that as well. That was a couple seasons ago. Um, I'm trying to think of other big Philip Glass that they would program. Einstein on the Beach. Yeah. or You're teasing me, right? Yeah. I think they've done it at the Met. Einstein on the Beach? Yeah, I think they have. Wow. That's Okay. I, I could be wrong, but I, I remember it being part of somebody. Maybe it was in, at Lyric Opera Chicago, but... Yeah. That's um, huge. But yeah, credit where credit is due. Plus, I mean, 20 on the Dodson scale is huge um, in a singular production, if we're looking at it in, from that perspective. I mean, that's... Karen Kamensek is a Chicagoan, it turns out, as Nice. Well. Didn't know that. Wow. Rep. Repping it. She's repping Rep. it, yo. Um... Then it gets kind of boring. Figaro, nothing. Aw, Nadine Sierra. Nah, 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 baby. And Mariana uh, Crebasa as Carabino. So Nadine Sierra singing We're still waiting on Nadine to call in, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) 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 She's got to be... We shouldn't talk about that, right? Can we burn bridges? No, she's amazing. I mean, like... No, we love her. We're teasing her. We're teasing her. She was the best part of... um, Of that show that she didn't call into. No, there was something she did recently. Oh, she did Brigoletto this weekend at the Met, uh, the HD broadcast, and she was insanely good. Really? It was was sick good. Where do you go see those? Where do you go? It's on the radio. Oh, I didn't... I, like, live... So you listen. I didn't know if you ever went to the theater. No, it's every Saturday. It's on the radio. Yes, I know. But I didn't know if you went to a live broadcast. Uh, The HD broadcast, the next one is this weekend. It's um, Daughter of the Regiment. Yeah, I do. I go to the one by my house. Uh, And we shouldn't. I don't want people to stalk me. So I won't say where that is. I know where it is. Okay. Um, Queen of Spades gets them five points for the Russian language. Rosencab. I I was just, let me say about Queen of Spades. This is interesting that. It seems to me more Russian language operas are being regularly programmed. Lyric is doing. Is that based on data, or is that just your feel, a gut feeling? It's a total gut feeling. Okay. I have zero stats okay. to mm. back that up, but I feel like the Russian presence in general collusion. Yeah. The Russian presence <laughs> in general is more about the in the American oh. opera landscape right now. Here's a version of Queen of Spades. Lyric is doing Queen of Spades. Queen of Spades yeah. next year as well. Uh, Lydia Yankovskaya takes over at COT. Anna Netrebko continues to dominate every American opera house. I'm a younger such fan of Met. opera, but like Eugene Onegin appears to be done by everyone now. And I mean, I don't Dare know. Dare we say that's almost. I, I, I think that, I mean, we're talking about Tchaikovsky and maybe yes. Ritsky Korsakov and Mazorsky, but there are so many other Russian language operas that we're not doing. So. Well, I'd love to see more Shostakovich, yeah. definitely. And we're, we're not seeing that, although The Nose has been done at yeah. the Met. Uh, Lady Macbeth, that would have been an interesting pairing. Verdi's Macbeth and Lady Macbeth in the same season. Re- that would have been really cool. That would have been pretty dope with a dinner break, like in the same, like a matinee <laughs> in an evening. Mm. I'm just I'm just spitballing. Yeah, here. they have nothing to do with each other, by the way. So, so. Um, completely unrelated. So yes. I know. <laughs> yeah. So we're like in the middle of the season, and Rosencav, Magic Flute, um, these don't really gain a whole lot. There is a new production of Vutzek, so that gains a few points. Um, where and then Traviata. I laughed about that on. production of Vutzek because it's it's look. basically between. It's, it opens between Christmas and New Year's and then into January. It's like the worst holiday gift ever would be two tickets <laughs> to Voitsek. <laughs> yeah. but, but it's... It's on Christmas it's, it's Day. Topical. That's good about second. <laughs> it's topical, though. Yeah. It's extremely topical. That's when, the, that's when the lyric did it. Was it right around Christmas time here, too, in 2016? The production photo on the Met website is absolutely gorgeous. Say what you like about William Kentridge. He's a visual artist. Does he know the music? There's many directors out there, which I think you could argue know music better than him, but visually, it's so stunning. This one image alone, and in the second segment of the show, Oliver, we're going to get to the Met in HD, and I believe Wojtek is one of the Met in HD productions. So the rest of the season, the scores are significantly lower outside of 
uh, Agrippina, um, the Handel opera from 1709, and that's a Metropolitan Opera premiere. Um, and it's, I think, the oldest show that they're doing in terms of when it was written. So that got yes, them 10 that's points. That's the only so actually broke opera. It is. So, so Orphan Ridicy is close to being broke, yeah. but it's still... Just outside. Not, yeah. yeah. I was so surprised that the Met had never done Agrippina in its history. Do you know any of the music, Oliver? I, yeah, it's great. Is it really? Yeah, it's fantastic. It's a star vehicle for the Nero and the Agrippina. So. Sweet. Joyce, so, yeah. Joyce Di Donato. Yes. Joyce Di Donato. I mean, so the rest of them really don't gain them a lot of points. Um, new production of The Flying Dutchman, but it's <laughs> it's Wagner, so they don't get anything for that. Uh, Verter. Somebody's going to have to tell me about... Um, Verter with Joyce Di Donato is interesting. That is an interesting yeah, that's uh, That's sort of showing Joyce going into her next stage of her career, doing the sort of those... I mean, she did Adelgisa like is it last year or two years ago mm. and charlotte i also feel is in that territory of like stepping away from the bel canto and doing something more meaty you know and with pietro bachawa as well yes. as verter so that'll be so tobias where like does that. that put us on the the over under if you will for the entire so season oh, wait, wait one more kacha kabanova yeah that, let's talk about that yeah. really quickly because I don't know it at all. You seem to know about more of that than no, I but it just it's, it's it's I think it was written in 1950, wasn't it? I'm not sure. Maybe they get points for that. Well, they get points for language for Czech. So where does that put us, George? Over under last year. So I guess I would have said the over under based on last year's would have been zero because that was their net. Right. So I would have predicted the over. Okay. And so, so you're saying that this season they would have more points than they did last season. Correct. So last year we awarded 60 and then we deducted 60. This right. year I awarded 90 total. Okay, you awarded more points. Yes, and then I had, we deducted five for Verdi being represented twice, mm -hmm. five for Mozart being represented multiple times, Massonet twice, Puccini three times, Wagner once because Wagner F that guy, and then I deducted 10 points each for Traviata. Bohem, and then another five for two out of three out of Travia, but Traviata, Bohem, and Carmen. Total deductions there, 50 points. A total of 40. That's yes. a huge jump for Metropolitan Opera. Jump. Yeah. It's almost with 25 different shows in their season, it's almost like two points a show. Which is pretty remarkable when you're doing 25 to have a net of 40. That's yeah. I actually think it's pretty great. It's progress. That's def it's yeah. definitely true. I think they must have been listening to us last year. And by the way, uh, Katya Komanova is was written in 1921. Yeah. My bad. So so no points for that. No so. points for that. Yeah. Speaking of listening, and we're, we need to to move on into the break. But Oliver, let's let's take it out with a little audio clip. What would you like to listen to? Um, let's let's save it for the next segment. You want to so save it? Yeah. You let's just let's yeah. Because I, I want to talk about the HD. So. Yeah. 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 Okay. Great. Well, that is what is up next. More on the Mets. Nineteen. Excuse me. Forty 20. points. Yeah. 2019, 2020 season, Now we have next year, to, they have to come back and we're holding them to it. What's yeah. going to be shown in HD. And also we're going to tackle a recent article that asks, are we killing singers' creativity in their music training? That is all next on America's talk radio show about opera. Live from Chicago. You're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. So, we call ourselves America's talk radio show about opera. Why? Because we are. With an ever-growing base of fans subscribing to the OBS podcast and a stadium full of listeners tuning into our live broadcast, we are in the ear holes of the opera audience you want to reach. Want to promote your opera-related service or event? Or propose to the bear -a hunk in your life? Maybe you just want the sound of your name memorialized on air by our announcer, Norm Waddell. Anything's possible. Drop us a line at operaboxscore at gmail.com for rates and availability. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquest, Tobias Wright, and Oliver the Man Camacho.
So, th- am I on? That was Lizette Oropresa uh, from last fall, uh, a production of Les Huguenots at L'Opera Bastille, uh, the aria that was made famous by Joan Sutherland, Au Beau Pays, performed by the it girl, Lizette Oropresa. Uh, so, as I suggested in the last block, um, Lizette seems to be one of the singers that Peter Gelb wants us to know about. And I'm very happy about this because mm-hmm. in other parts of the world, she has really you know, come into her own as the prima donna, especially her really famous now um, production of Lucida Lamar. I forget where it was. Maybe it was in Spain, Teatro Madrid. Go look her up. Look at her clips. She... Her something happened, like just in the past couple of years, just something happened. She's always been a reliable, you know, sobretish type of soprano. And then one day she sang Lucia and she like <laughs> brought the house yeah. down. And now she's in demand all over the world to do these like big bel canto roles. So we're going to see uh, in, well, let's talk about the, the HD season. The first one um, is Turando with Yannick Nezis again, uh, with Christine Gerke as Turando. Uh, Liu, performed by Eleonora Burrato, who actually was in Chicago uh, a couple years ago for one of Ricardo Muti's um, operas with Chicago Symphony Orchestra. She's really great. And the tenor, Roberto Aronica as Calaf. The second one, uh, both of these are in October, I believe, is Manon uh, with Lizette Orpresa, Michael Fabiano, and the baritone that I was raving about uh, not too long ago, uh, the Polish baritone, Artur Ruczynski. Then we get the Mangala production of Madam Butterfly with Hui Hui and Elizabeth Deschong as Suzuki and Paolo Zot as uh, Sharpless. Tenor there is named Andrea Carre. I don't know who that is. We get to see the Akhenaten, thank goodness, but I don't think it's the sugar waxing Akhenaten. I think it's not the same production as the smooth baby's bottom. From Akhenaten. LA Opera? Yeah. Is it the same it one? Is. It is the same So one. there's going to be Peen. Uh, on an HD. All right. HD, baby. I am yeah. really excited about that. I hope that we're still around as a planet. It's going to be like <laughs> Oliver's at a Saturday night. You know? Yeah, exactly. Watching those <laughs> make sure I wear double underwear that day. Yikes. Um, Vodsek with Yannick Nezikian. Elsa Vandenhever as Maria or as Marie. I'm so excited about that. I think yeah. it's a role debut for Peter Matei as mm-hmm. Vodsek. Then we will see the Porgy and Best with Golda Schutz as Clara. Unfortunately, Jenny Brugger is performing... Uh, Clara earlier in the season, but by the time we get to the HD, it's going to be Golda Schutz, who's fantastic, but Jani Brugger is a friend of ours. So, who's Porgy? Uh, Eric Owens, I'm assuming. I don't know. I did, I just was remembering that. You can look at. Uh, I can tell you after the break. I, I can't I'm look looking, it up right I'm now. So. You could, you do your thing, my man. Um, <clears throat> Agrippina with uh, Joyce DiDonato and I more, forget more Pina and, and, and Megan <laughs> and Megan Lindsay. Uh, then we will get the Flying Dutchman with Bryn Turvel and Anya Kampa. Natropica will finally sing Tosca. Mm. And for HD, this is, remember, last year we had this debacle with the Tosca. The cast kept changing. The conductor changed. Right. Like, everybody changed. So yeah. we're finally going to get to see Anna Natropica in this production. I kind of question why they've chosen to put this in HD again. We just had this last season with Sonia Yoncheva. So Money. now we have no less than three HD versions of Tosca from the Met. Uh, I think that should they should lose points for that. Like the HD broadcast should have its own scale because <laughs> that's just too much Tosca. There are all the other operas they could have shown us, and they're going to show us Tosca, you know. And then the season ends uh, with Mary Stewart, uh, with Diana, Diana Damro, uh, Jamie Barton, and uh, Michael Costello. I mean, uh, Stephen, Stephen Costello. Oliver, you go to how many of the Met and HD broadcasts? I try to go to all of them unless I absolutely have no interest in seeing yeah. the production. I might skip this uh, Tosca, for example. How about you, Tobias? Mm. Would you go to one, zero, I, I would two, say I average about you? one a season. Yeah. Depending, I mean, yeah. if I have a friend singing or if it's a production that I really want to see, but I, get I feel my... it's the way to stay connected with what's happening at the men, unless you're going to go there, you right? Know? Yeah. What's also great about them are the intermission features and the interviews. I love seeing opera singers with a microphone in their hand trying to play like the host, and some do it so well. Matthew Polanzani is amazing mm-hmm. as a host, and then some people are so nervous, and it's really deer in headlights. Yeah, and it's yes. great. I actually like oh, seeing sure. that. You know. Sure. The other reason to go is I love seeing who's in the audience of the movie theater. It, it's an interesting pulse take on who cares about opera in this country. And 
I'm always surprised by how few people there are. Hmm. I, you know, it's interesting you say that because I have seen Rigoletto, the production, the Las Vegas production when right. it first premiered, and I think that was 2013. It, I went to a sold out movie theater. Yeah. On the live performance, yeah. and, I, and so that, maybe I'm picking the wrong. But shows. it's it's the way that they're marketed, and like the theaters here in Chicago are in no way marketing these performances, even when they have yeah. encore performances. They will shut off. I mean, the one by my house, if nobody buys a ticket, they'll shut it off. I try to sneak into them, so that's how I know, right. you know. <laughs> and you have so. two shots you have the live one, yeah. and then there's the encore, yeah. which is on Wednesday night, usually. Which is so, nine, like yeah. at Music Academy of the West in Santa Barbara, for example, they make an event out of it and they like invite their patrons, their normal, because like during the, I mean, that's a summer festival, so during the year, they want to keep their, um, you know, constituents engaged. So, yeah. They make events out. I don't know if they like serve drinks or something like that, but like you know, they enjoy the intermission together and they watch together. And like that that space, Music Academy of the West in Santa Barbara, is a space that should be used all the time if possible. You know, my father-in-law gives me the same Christmas present every year, which is fabulous, Mm. and it's a ticket to a Met in HD broadcast. So I always I get to pick. You know, when you like you have that thing as a Christmas present that the other person likes, you just get it them every single year. It's such it's a sweet spot. Yeah. So if I had to pick a single one, it would probably be Vatsek. Yeah, I, I don't know that. how I could not go to that. Well, I think the best singing is going to be the Manon because of Oropresa and Arturo Chinsky. So I'm definitely going to see that. And I'm crazy about... Not because of Mike Fabiano? I'm sorry. Well, I, I, I didn't <laughs> say it. Uh, I'm crazy about Handel, so I'll be at the Agrippina. I mean, I'd be at all of them, but yeah. um, I'm crazy about Handel, so I'll be at the Agrippina. Flying Dutchman, though, man, that would be pretty dope to I see. Lo- that I actually kind of well. love some of the Flying Dutchman. Yeah. I won't lie, and I'm not a huge Wagner guy, but there's some of Flying from Dutchman. from the overture onward. Yeah. That piece is just like it's so compact, it's so tight for for Wagner's work. That mm, tough, tough calls. So we have a couple of minutes left before we go to two minute drill. Uh, so we'd like to talk about. Do you want it? Do you need to play a clip like a little? Outro, or are we okay? To no, no, we can okay. go straight ahead. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. Chip change. So we are. We want to talk about this article that you might have seen if you are a Facebook user. Uh, the article comes from a blog called Theory Works, Music Theory for Working Actors. And the article is called Failing Our Singers. And the author, Amy Marie Stewart, writes that uh, the demand for execution is killing the freedom to create. And Toby, you had some feelings about this article. Yeah, I really did. Um, You know, I was reading it today and I was like, golly, I've said this so many times that. Well, as you as you tell us what you think about, we just hit some of the points that are in the article. Just you don't have to go verbatim, but like what really stuck out to you and like what did you agree with? I think honestly, her her byline failing our singers, how a demand for execution kills the freedom to create. So let's just deconstruct that for a moment. And let's also mention this singing and singers. That is a career and a craft that involves a constant pursuit of a perfection that doesn't exist. And so it's and it's a it's a lifelong pursuit of correction. It's a lifelong pursuit of growth and at a certain point when you continue to continually tell a young singer to fix to fix to fix to fix it's a diminishing return on what is happening with the education. And what I mean by that is that no longer I master classes when I was coming up and before I started doing young artist programs and being professional singers used to drive me up a wall because it wasn't about freedom. It was about fixing things that weren't really wrong. And what I want to see when I see someone sing on a stage is a freedom that they are up there to share. And I want a performer to walk on the stage, absolutely hold my attention, be so strong in their work beforehand that they can grab me by the lapels and say, I have a freaking story to tell you. That's what I want from a singer, and that's what I wanted as a performer, and that's what I want as a performer. To that point, though, um, in this article, and I really agree with some of this stuff, so it started because she runs a public Facebook page called Accompanist Connection. Um, And there was a an accompanist in New York City who wrote, Hey, everybody, we're failing our singers. I was playing a class tonight at whatever studio, and it seems like these students are terrified of offending or inconveniencing their accompanist. One person literally destroyed one of his anthology books, broke the spine, and ripped out some pages because his printer ran out of ink. God forbid a pianist reads out of a book. For a class, 
Another woman apologized, having the determination to ask if I was familiar with her song. How fragile are we becoming? Yes, let's teach actors good habits, but we accompanists should be their biggest allies in the room. We have power. Let's inspire. So this is about an accompanist being around singers who are timid, who are afraid, who the accompanist feels as though these singers, these artists who, with whom he is supposed to be collaborating, are taught that they are less than are taught that they don't know as much as, and are taught that they don't have the freedom to do the research to learn and to collaborate. That, and that's the point of this article, and I really think that that is true. It rings very true. Exactly, when instead what we should be teaching emerging artists is, is the opposite, is what can you, you... don't know. What can you bring to the table? What do you know? What is your experience? Mm-hmm. What do you want to share? What do you want to contribute? Yeah, so I, I just want to say that I went to, I continue to go to Amherst Early Music Festival uh, for my summer festival um, because Julianne Baird uh, teaches master classes there. And she is one of the most empowering teachers I've ever met in my life. She tells so many stories about how she was the smartest person in the room and how singers are always made to feel that they're the dumbest person in the room and they need yep. to they need to respect the conductor respect the accompanist respect the stage director like all these people who know more than them when actually if the singer does the the preparation they actually probably know more than anybody else you know yes. and you have to own that you have you actually have to do the work though you have to like be prepared you have to know your languages know the score blah you know but once you're there and you're that prepared, don't let people walk all over you. Don't let people tell you that you're not a musician. Don't let people, you know, um, correct you when you are in the right, you know. Mm-hmm. You have to stand up for yourself and you have to show that you're prepared. You really do. And I, we, I've talked about this on the show as well. My least favorite performances or productions are ones in which I was treated by a conductor as if I couldn't comprehend what they were saying, you know. Yeah. And I think we talked about it on the show two weeks ago. You know, singers are artists too. And like, Whatever. I don't have to like we don't have to go down that route necessarily. But this is more about young singers and the trust being fractured in that they aren't being taught that you can be as smart as or and or a peer to the person playing the piano and the persons that are behind the scenes that are directing. Like I should know just as much as a director. I mean, I should have done that research, too. If I'm going to be a character, if I'm going to act, if I'm going to have the audacity to stand up and sing another language in front of somebody, I should know a little bit about what's going on, I would Well, and the best directors always do that, is the best directors will say, here are all the cards that I hold. Here's everything I know. There's a lot of gaps. Help me. I need your help to bring this aria, scene, act, production to fruition. I don't have all the answers, so Mm -hmm. I need your artistry to help me out. So something in the article, too, that kind of got me going... She says, take, for example, what I've heard from multiple accompanists. Since actors, quote, since actors always come in nervous, I automatically assume the tempo they've given me is too fast. So when I play for them, I play it slower. What? That's crazy. And I'm going to say that that has happened to me before. I had a grad school audition and I was singing uh, the dream aria from Manon. Yeah. Yeah. And I take that, Michael Fabiano. (laughs) (laughs) And I gave the tempo to the pianist and as soon as he started it was literally half of what i'd given him and it almost uh, it did ruin my audition because halfway through the aria i finished a phrase because i couldn't let him stop me i had to sing what was there halfway through i finished a phrase and then was waiting for him to finish with me like literally two bars behind and i'm not even exaggerating one of the panelists started singing my next phrase for me as if i didn't know it and i was like bruh I know the text. I did the work. You're p- like, why didn't he trust me with the tempo that I gave him? Exactly. You picked that tempo because you knew that's what you could sustain. Yes. Right? Yes. That's why you do it. That's So, sorry, I'm, I'm getting really worked up here. Yikes. No, that's I'm, I'm getting worked up because I really do believe that also my favorite colleagues that I ever worked with were people who were really smart. I love working with people that I know I can trust. And that I know has also done the work that uh, you don't want to be a part of a production where you have to raise everybody's level. You want everybody to be at a high level coming in. That's when creativity, that's when collaboration happens. 
that's what we should be teaching young singers. Let's say you dodged a bullet with that audition because if the people sitting behind the audition panel didn't know that the pianist was n- not following you, then you don't want to be a part of that. Mm. <laughs> I did not get into that mm. grad school, and mm. multiple people from that school emailed me and apologized for their colleagues' behavior. So, mm. like, I know that I wasn't, you know, it was just crazy. I was like, what, what are we doing here? Why did I fly down here? Why am I, you know what I mean? A little 30-second tip from the OC. When you are giving the tempo to a pianist, don't beat a complicated conductor's pattern. Beat one. Just beat one beat per beat, you know, up and down, and sing the first phrase yeah, for your, your accompanist in the tempo that you want. Agreed. So one of the things, and I know we got to wrap this up, but I'm, there is one more. She has a list here. Um because professors they're paranoid of letting their students down so this is talking about some of where we fail our students out of abundance of concern for you and perhaps somewhat more cynically their own reputations professors have the tendency to over prepare you semicolon here's a list don't do that you won't get hired don't use your hands when you act don't sing this song know your type have a pop rock song from every year what what is that this is more about music theater don't refine what interests you instead be ready to please everyone so to this point we, we make cookie-cutter singers, and I think singers should sing what feels good. And if it feels good and your technique is sound, you'll know it. And so we need to be breeding artists who want to be artists, who want to expand their repertoire because it's what interests them, not because what they think is going to get them a job. Well, what a dreadful teaching tool. I mean, to give somebody a list of don'ts, that, that serves nobody Look, one of the things I do to make a pathetic living is I teach early childhood music. So I work with three, four, and five-year-olds. If you want to have a child do something, say, don't stick your finger in the socket. Because they will immediately do it. Yeah. So to give them, and these are like young adults, right? To give them a list of don'ts is like, well, of course they're going to try and do that stuff. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's like, don't think of Abraham Lincoln. What are you going to think of the first things? I, yeah, (laughs) I don't, I don't. Before we wrap this up, I have one more thing to say. And Oliver's probably rolling his eyes at me right now because he doesn't love me anymore. But I'm just, (laughs) go on. We need to wrap it up. Okay. Okay. She says, as a teenager, I had zero stage fright. I just love the heck out of being on stage. It was in college that I learned to be afraid, and many can relate. There's nothing more triggering for anxiety than a professor, a professional, excuse me, per, and a, oh my gosh, there's nothing more triggering for anxiety than the professional pressure to, quote, execute. And I will say that as a young artist, I, I, I still to this day don't have anxiety with quotes around it. I get nerves because it's exciting, but I'm never scared to perform. But the few times that I've had anxiety are when constantly I've been told that every choice I've made was wrong. And every part of the input that I gave, either in a coaching uh, or to a director, when I've been told that was wrong and that I had to do it 100% within their image and within their sound construct, that's when anxiety happened. Because I no longer was an artist, I was a vessel. And that is not what art should be. Exactly. It leads to anxiety. It leads to bad art. Thank you, Tobias, for some close reading on that article. That's going to be on our website, operaboxscore.com. Hey, wait. There's yet another opera podcast out there. Find out what it is next on Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, here's a tip. If you've recently started listening to our show, you already know there's nothing else like it. Week in, week out, you get our panel's hot takes on opera news in the two-minute drill. Plus, our patented segments like Fantasy Fockball, Monday Evening Quarterback, and Crunching the Numbers. But you might not know about some of the incredible interview guests who have gone inside the huddle with our team, like tenor Matthew Polanzani, composer Gregory Spears, intendant Kirsten Harms, and countertenor Jakub Josef Orlinski, to name just a few. Check out the Opera Box Score archives on SoundCloud. Just go to soundcloud.com and search for Opera Box Score. And you can tell us about your favorite interviews on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed. 
This just in, the two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know that happened in Opera Land over the past week. The Financial Times reports that, quote, things fell apart in Berlin's Staatsoper's new production of Mozart's Die Zauberflöte. The singers look terrified as they flew through the air in this marionette show staging, but the problems don't end there. The production is staged as a marionette show presented by children. The singers hang on strings, move jerkily, fly through the air. It's technically complex, utterly incoherent, and musically fatal. And the review goes on to harshly criticize conductor Alondra de la Parra and the Staatsoper management. Yikes, there's even a worse quote from that review. We'll get to that in a second. Tenor Lawrence Brownlee and baritone Eric Owens are in the middle of a 17-city recital tour with pianist Craig Terry. Brownlee described why he chooses to include spirituals in the program. Quote, they have this idea of freedom. If you want to linger on a particular note or give some finesse to a part that's more meaningful to you, those things can fall on the ear of the listeners. You can feel somebody else's journey when you sing it. And Donizetti's the daughter of the regiment. The title character Marie ad-libs a brief spoken monologue as her character gives vent to overwhelming, conflicting emotions. And in the current Met production, it's directed by Laurent Pelly, that moment is an opportunity for singers to depart from the French libretto and soprano Pritiende is making the part her own in this current revival by incorporating Zulu language. She grew up speaking that in South Africa. In one of their regular thirsty posts, Barra Hunks gives free advertising to another opera podcast. Sex, Drugs, and Opera is the newish show hosted by American Barra Hunk Jared Ice and standard level of attractiveness tenor Michael Pegger. Their interview guests have included Kemmerzinger, Paul Brady, fellow Barra Hunk John Brancy, Ice Ice Baby. Over to the DL, Albina Shagimuratova is suffering from acute laryngitis. She's bowed out of two performances of Verdi's La Traviata at Lyric making the way for Ryan Opera Center alumna Emily Beerson to shine in a new production conducted by friend of our show, Michael Christie. Exit stage right, the unrelated trio of composer Dominic Argento, baritone Eckhart Vlashiha, and coloratura soprano Hilda Zadek. Last up, on this day, February 25th, the birthday of Spanish conductor Jesus Lopez Cobos and the anniversary of the birth of Italian tenor Enrico Caruso in 1873. That is your two-minute drill. Live from Chicago, it's Opera Box Score with George Tobias and Oliver. Thanks for listening, everybody. Operaboxscore.com is the website on wnur.org slash pop-up live streaming and the number in the studio, 847-866-9687. Let us know what you're thinking about tonight's hot stories. What are you thinking about, Oliver? I'm just thinking high five for you getting Shagamirotova correct. Yeah. Uh, But I think like... Dude, I was going to nail that if it was the last thing I did Yeah, but I think the dismount is where you lost because then you... Uh, said it was a new production at Lyric, and it was not a new production at Lyric. It's, it's the current production at Lyric Opera, conducted by our friend Michael Christie. Yes. But yeah, I actually was in the audience uh, for the Sunday matinee of Traviata with Emily Brisson. And I, went, I have to say this, like I normally don't like to disparage, you know, don't bite the hand that feeds you. But sure. um, I wasn't planning on going to see this Traviata because it, it's one of those... We've seen the production before. You're not bringing us anybody in the cast that's that interesting to me. But um, it is great to see uh, an artist rise to the ranks. Emily Beerson's been taking her lumps doing, you know, Indianapolis, Madison, you know, these like regional companies. And now she's getting her chance to do what she does really well uh, on the lyric stage. And a lot of people are going to remember her. I mean, she was the best part um, awesome. of the show. Fabulous. Very detailed singing. She's a beautiful woman. She acts, you know, it's it's what other people are not so that's cool um do you want my takes what do you have george go right ahead tobias enrico enrico caruso lives on my fireplace mantle so oh happy birthday wait he literally i thought he was dead <laughs> his ashes are there yes I, that's what I you're a grave robber <laughs> yes i am aren't you um, what's your what's your obsession with caruso like i i understand that you're a tenor he's a tenor but like take me deeper well, into the attraction i think it starts it's all about I love recordings and I love recordings of old tenors and you go back and then you just, if you just love opera recordings, well, the first recordings are of Caruso. He was the guy, you know, and in the early 1910s, he was about as famous as 
any pop singer could imagine of ever being. And he, he garnered a wealth and a fame that was unparalleled for an opera singer. We really can't comprehend it. Maybe Pavarotti rivaled it in the 90s, early 90s, but just the fact that he was the first recorded, recorded, recorded voice that many people ever heard on a radio is a phenomenon we can't really comprehend. So I loved learning about him. And he was a good singer. Oh, he, well, <laughs> also that. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, you can listen to those recordings and you still, even, you know, people who are used to higher quality recordings, you can get so much information from those recordings yeah. about phrasing, about connection to the Italianate way of singing from back in that time, connection to those composers, you know, like yep. it's history, well, I mean, you know. Puccini said it was a gift from God that, that he heard Caruso the first time. And so, yeah, I love Caruso. So there's this uh, production of the Magic Flute from the Staatsoper, and man, that I mean, the, it's gonna. <laughs> we're gonna put the link on our um, website, but you might have to go through a paywall through a secret way to to read this full review. But uh, they, nobody, nobody is uh, unscathed from this review. <laughs> uh, the darts go to everybody, but especially to the conductor and the management for letting this conductor conduct this show what was the last quote like what a waste of taxpayer money or something like that yeah that, that was the last line what a depressing waste of yeah. taxpayer funded resources that's awesome but you know the singers were terrified and they were like you know hanging in the air and they couldn't see the conductor and you know when you're not confident when you don't have your feet underneath you it's hard to breathe you know and it's hard if it's hard to hear you know like yeah things are gonna go awry I you know can't imagine any way of being suspended in the air and being comfortable yeah. One and two, trying to sing, that's nuts. Uh, so, the person who directed the show is a colleague of mine, and I, I'm not going to talk about the directing because I haven't seen seen the show. My question would be like, how would you beta test this idea to make sure it was going to work before you got to the point of no return? Google Spider Man, the mm -hmm. musical on Broadway. Okay. okay. I'm sorry. Go. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm going to assume that that the director and his or her production team did their due diligence in that. So it's surprising to me that, that this idea would kind of make it to, to mm -hmm. the stage and beyond. Am I surprised that these sorts of reviews came up? Probably not. I think there must have been something with the Franz Besler Most was the original conductor that maybe he bowed out of the production. And so sometimes you need a strong leader. Not that Alexandra or whatever her name is, Alondra Al Al de la Parra. I don't know her. Um, so I'm not taking anything away from her. But sometimes you need an experienced conductor to pull off something like that, where there's so much stage antics. You need somebody solid, you know, who can really lead the thing, you know? Well, and, and not just to lead the thing, but but to kind of bring this full circle and to talk about collaboration is to have a conductor work with the director and say, look. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. not going to work. That's, not, I'm putting my not, foot down on this one, happen. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which is very rare in this business, yeah. actually. You think it would happen a lot more. But I think it's very rare. I get mad when people are sitting or laying on the floor when they have to sing something very hard. Mm -hmm. I hate that laying stuff. Laying on the too. floor is a huge pet peeve. Yeah, but yeah. see, that's on the singers that they need to be advocating for themselves. But we're taught no, you, we're taught to be good colleagues. Hey, we're taught well, there to we be, go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, yeah. It, the director bring, knows more than us. Yeah. Well, <laughs> bringing it around again, right? Is like you know. So then you go back to training and you say, look, advocate for yourself. When I teach. I do a, 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 a master class or a one-hour session on know your rights in opera. Hmm. And so I talk to young singers, and I say, these are your rights. You have the right to all these things. And one of those rights is to say, you know what? Can I try it another way? Yeah. And I, I think singers should be given that permission to advocate for themselves. So for those of you who have listened to the new podcast, it's not that new, but Sex, Drugs, and Opera, tell us what you think of it. I saw that they have had uh, John Brancy as one of their guests. They haven't had as many guests as we've had, but you know they're relatively new, so we'll see where they go with it. I, I subscribe to it on, on Apple Podcasts, and I, I haven't listened to a full episode yet, but I did go to the website, and I was tickled to see, and I'm going to tweet the guys, but I was tickled to see their promo video was shot in the lobby of the Staatstheater Darmstadt, which is mm -hmm. where I worked as an assistant director. Drink, drink. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, thanks a lot, Barahunks, for uh, pushing their podcast and not talking about us. We've got a... Oh, we don't have any. He's we a need, tenor, dude. Yeah, we need to get a, a baritone in so there. I'm yeah. showing a lot yeah. of chest hair today, though. So. Weston is true, a baritone, true. but he sure as hell ain't hunky. I mean, he's a hunk. Oh, but his brother's very cute, though. I've met him. What's uh, 
Weston has a brother. Weston has a brother, and they're like they live together. So let's hear a little bit of a uh, pretty ende speaking some Zulus. Wakanda forever, ever, everybody. <laughs> Oliver looks so underwhelmed. Yeah, I was expecting so much more exciting. You it, know, it looks like Oliver has like the stomach bug. <laughs> <laughs> It'll probably be better in HD. So, no. she, she she's clicking. So those little yeah, no, I know, I know what that is, but I, and but you know that production is going to be hard to live up to what Natalie Desai and Juan Diego Flores did the first time that was in HD. They so. set the bar like no bar had ever. Have you been seen set that? Before I have. Yes. It's so yeah, good. It's really good. So. It's it, Laurent Pelly is he's a fabulous director. So I did not know um, Eckhard Vlashiha, uh, but I do have some of those recordings with Hilda Zadek in it, and she was part of that famous post-war ensemble at the Vienna Staatsoper, which had Elizabeth Schwarzkopf and I think like Lisa de la Casa and Crystal Ludwig in it. So she's part of that generation, and she was 101 years old when she died. That is crazy! Wow. And Dominic Argento is a composer that a lot of college students sing, mm-hmm. I think. There's, like, college operas do that. Yeah, and Postcard from Morocco is his big show, which I've not directed, uh, but I have seen. Aspirin Papers is another one on his repertoire. Oh, he did a version of uh, Taming of the Shrew as well. Hmm, interesting. Uh, and how old was he? actually, when he died. He was in his 90s. 91. He was 91. Yeah. yeah, exactly. All right, gentlemen, we're going to wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. It's been fantastic having all of you listeners with us tonight. Thank you so much for hanging out with the Opera Box Score boys. Good call, bad call, the best and the worst of opera from the past week or so. Tobias Wright, anything on your list? Just happy to be here, George. Oliver Camacho. So since we are broadcasting out of Northwestern University, I do have to recommend uh, The Rake's Progress, which is not my idea of a college opera, but Northwestern University or Bean School of Music is putting it on uh, starting Thursday for performances. So I did it in college. Yeah? I was, did you really? Yeah, I was shirtless and had to carry Baba the Turk on the stage. It was horrible. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Moving on. That director works at the Met. Uh, the I thought the production of Electra at Lyric was really great. I have not been to Lyric at all this season so far, and I was really pleasantly surprised. I'm praying that I can say the same thing after the Traviata. When are you going? On Monday. Uh, I will not be here for the March 4th okay. show. Yeah. So. Huh. Um, well, say hi to Michael Christie for us. You got it. No. That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk radio show about opera. The general manager at WNUR, John Williams. No, not that John Williams. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra, with opera statistics and on-this-day content from operabase.com. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. Please leave a review when you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. Here's what I'm going to do. You leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You email me at operaboxscore at gmail.com. I send you an Opera Box Score lapel pin. How easy could that be? The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Tobias Wright, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera. And look, hurry up, because you don't get an extra day in February this year. We're back on Monday, March 4th at 9 p.m. Central. All your opera stories are hot takes. Join us. This is WNUR-FM Edmonston, Chicago, Chicago's sound experiment.